welcome to burnout to badass. You know, many times it's not if you're a burnout in athletics, it's more of a win. Same goes for medicine and other high-achieving professional roles. Today's guest, Lauren Williams, goes into just that. She was the first American Olympic athlete to compete in both the summer and winter games. If that's not badass, I don't know what is. But we're going to get into her story of burnout and see where her journey has taken her. And I can't wait to share. Welcome to Burnt Out to Badass, my friend, the woman I idolized on TV and now girl fanning over, Lauren Williams. Erin, thanks so much for having me on the show today. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited for you to be here. For the people who don't know who you are and the amazing, just amazing things that you have done in the world, give them a short bio, a little bit about you and your life. All right, my life story in maybe three minutes or less. (laughs) You take all the time you need. (laughs) So I am born... In Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, raised between Pittsburgh and Detroit. Uh, my parents split up when I was three. So it's kind of split between the two places. I like to claim both of them because they, they were equally good to me. Um, went to the University of Miami, and I think that's kind of where the story really starts. I went there on a track scholarship and was extremely grateful to my coach for giving me the opportunity to get a free education. You know, I had been working toward academic, you know, ways to get my education taken care of, coming from a family of five sisters, two brothers, a father who was, you know, ill as I was growing up. There was just not a lot of money to go around, but I knew education was important. And so I wanted to repay my coach for the opportunity of getting this free education. And I worked my butt off on the track. Well, little did I know that it was going to turn into something much bigger than a free education. As a junior in college, I became a member of Team USA. I won a silver medal at the Olympic Games in Athens, Greece, and a whole new life started for me as a professional athlete. So I forewent, yeah, I feel like, I don't know, I gave up my last year of eligibility as a college uh, senior. I did finish my education, but, you know, it was full-time running for Nike at that time. And the first thing I did was go and get a financial advisor because I wanted to make good decisions. Well, I didn't know at the time that there were different types of financial advisors. So I am what you call a certified financial planner that is fee only and fiduciary. And, you know, I tell people don't don't go any other direction when you're looking to interview a financial professional. Now that I know the difference. Well, I ended up in the hands of someone that was a salesperson. They sold a product, they earned a commission, and they didn't know very much about finances outside of the product they were selling. And so while I thought I should be able to come for advice, like, can I move out from living with my college roommate? And if I can, should I buy a house or should I rent a place? Can I, you know, buy a car? Should I lease a car? You know, all these little things that we're dealing with on a money basis, on a regular, as we grow up and we try to adult, I was asking, but I couldn't get any advice from the financial advisor I had. So I was like, this doesn't make any sense. So fired him, hired another guy that went slightly better at the beginning and then didn't go better. That company ended up shutting down because a bunch of NFL players invested their money in a casino. The casino never opened and they lost 100%. So I was lucky in the fact that I wasn't making millions. So I couldn't even invest in this casino, but I was not well cared for there either. And so that led me to wanting to become a financial planner. So that was my pivot from sport to life after sport. It was into financial planning. But there was a pivot before that that was track and field over into bobsled. So I am the first American woman to have earned a medal in both the summer and the winter Olympics. Um, And so that was a pretty cool opportunity. And it actually kind of came from burnout. Yeah, absolutely. So... I know that like you get to be on the front of the magazine and on Wheaties and all that kind of stuff. 
But we're going to like peel back and kind of look at like behind it all. Let's talk about the athletic burnout that you went through. Give me the approximate time that you kind of really noticed like, oh man, I'm something's going on. And what did it feel like? Yeah. So the beginning of my burnout started in 2008. So the average career of a professional athlete is usually, you know, three to five years is what they say. 2004, my career started. In 2008, I was the favorite to win the Olympic Games. Um, my dad was really ill at that time. And so I didn't know that that was the case until well after my first set of competitions in Beijing, China. And it was one of those things where I realized that this was not the most important thing in the world. Me being at this Olympic Games, me winning, though I had all the pressure. Um, like I said, previous games, I'd gotten a silver medal. The girl that was the defending champion was no longer there. And so kind of like all eyes on me to do this thing. And I just felt a lot of pressure. But even in the midst of that pressure, I realized like, you know, my dad is like fighting for his life. Um, and so all things being considered, like, what does it mean to be an Olympian? How am I helping the world? How am I making a difference? You know, how am I bringing joy to people's lives? And does it really matter that they feel good because they got to cheer for me? Like, does this, in the grand scheme of thing, is this what I want my impact to be? And I think that's where it started to kind of trickle in. My dad passed away in 2008, um, shortly after the games. And it just led to a period of reflection for what do I want to be? What do I want to do? You know, if I fall down and I break my leg and I can no longer, you know, compete in track and field, who am I? And I think it's a thing that a lot of athletes go through is this idea of like, what is my identity beyond this thing that everybody thinks of me as? And it was a really hard question to start to ask myself. Um, I didn't have a lot of answers and that was even more frustrating. So I, ke I kept competing. I made it through the 2012 Olympic. I actually ended up taking 2010 off completely, um, deciding to return to sport in 2011. But I just didn't have the same vigor or excitement about it. But I think I was really embarrassed because I didn't know, like I said, who am I? What am I going to do next? Where is my life journey going to take me? And only everybody, only thing everybody thinks of me is an athlete. So I better go back to doing this athlete. Uh, so I get to the sport of track and field again. And I'm just kind of putting in this half-hearted effort. And I realize like it's time for me to retire. Well, while I was getting ready to retire and I'm looking into different things to do, uh, ran into a girl in the airport at, on my way to a race, heard about her having competed in bobsled. And she's like, it's amazing. And it's in Olympic gear. So you can totally make the team. And I was like, make the Olympic team. I was like, I was just looking for something to do life after sport to stay busy and and, you know, keep myself into something as I figure out what I want to do next. And, you know, here she is talking about me going to the Olympics. Well, I'm like, well, I'm going to give it a chance. Why Why not? Um, you know, what, what could stop me? And the thing that was so great about bobsled was this idea of being able to use my body for something different. So a big part of my burnout as an athlete was my body was changing. Um, you know, we talk about it in middle, you know, when we look back at middle school times and puberty and things like that. But as we go through life, our body continues to change, especially as females. And so my body was changing. I was having a really hard time managing my weight as disciplined as I was with my food. I worked out for a living. So so it wasn't so much that I was fat, but it was like I wasn't be able to maintain the same sort of uh, physicality that I was previously able to. And it was really frustrating for me because I kept feeling like I'm a failure. I'm a world class athlete. What am I not doing right? I'm not working hard enough when it was really just, you know, my body was ready to take a different, you know, the childbearing hips were coming about and I need to be able to use my body differently. And that's what bobsled invited me to do. They said, how much weight can you gain and still be fast? And I was like, wait, what? You want me to gain weight? I'm allowed to eat in this sport? 
okay, come on. I'm, I'm excited about this. So, you know, I gained like 12 pounds in like seven days. And they were like, oh, you're serious. You really do know how to gain weight. Just hold on a second. We don't want you to be fat. But, but it also, like I said, opened my mind to like, oh, here's a different way of me to be able to use my body, uh, reach my full potential in a, in a totally different aspect of life. And then kind of re retrain my energy because what was burnout in track and field didn't mean that I, I wasn't u- useful in some other areas or aspect of life. Oh, so amazing. Got so many good points there. Okay. I want to go back to the identity thing because what you said is like, if I am not a track and field athlete, then who am I? That was my exact thing with, if I'm not a doctor, who am I? Because just like, you know, we had so many similarities. You were like putting in the two three-day practices, the like measuring out to like the ounce of chicken that you were eating. And I was cramming in books and taking 24-hour call. And yeah, we let the things that we do become our whole identity. And then when it's like time to rip off the bandage because it's just yucky and you don't want it anymore, then you're like, well, fuck. Then what's underneath of this? What have I... What have I forgotten or or who am I? I think that is a such an essential point that if there's anybody out there who's listening, like there's nothing wrong with that. Like we've been there because culturally you're supposed to like engross yourself in this thing that you're supposed to succeed at. But really it's like, who's that person under the white coat? Who's that person under the racing bib? There's a person under there and you get to change as life changes. And it's a multifaceted person, you know, and that you don't have to know the answer to the who am I, because the answer should be, you are many things. And, you know, my theme, even for this year is just kind of like letting go of labels, because that's exactly what the who am I is. The more you try to answer, the more you back yourself into some sort. My original box was the athlete box. Then there was like, oh, the female box. Then, you know, I got into financial planning and it was like the young black female box, because the majority of the people are old white men. And, you know, you just start like focusing so much on the labels that you actually limit yourself versus thinking outside of those boxes. Absolutely. So true. And and I love the recognition of like, hey, just as we change, our anatomy changes too. hashtag three kids here. (laughs) It's just going to be different and different doesn't mean wrong. And I love that you were able to pivot into a sport that was like, no, your body's beautiful. And actually we want those childbearing hips. So let's make them a little bit more koosh. Got a little Cardi B. <laughs> That's what right. we need exactly. in this bobsled. Yes, exactly. I think sometimes we take for granted the idea that our body is changing and it, it can be changing for the better. There's so much negative language and negative connotations around body image um, that we're fighting through as women on a regular basis that it's like, oh, these are good changes. It's, it's totally cool to be putting on more weight because this is what my body's supposed to be doing and getting ready in this phase of life. All right, let's embrace it and let's go for it. And why, why does it have to be bad not to be like toothpick skinny? Like, you know, what it, what is your body frame and what's appropriate, what's healthy for you, I think is the answer that we need to focus on asking more versus what society is telling us or imagery and propaganda, et cetera, is doing. Uh, we got to really like love the skin we're in. And that's not just a cliche. That's a, that's a thing we need to focus and practice. Absolutely. So exercise has always been one of my coping mechanisms of like things get hard and stressful. I go out for a run, get pissed off at work. I lift a little bit harder. And and what I realized is through my own body transitioning into my 30s, getting into my 40s is when I actually focused on my body and how things 
the things that felt good to it, and I leaned into that, it was almost like my body was like, oh, thanks. And here, this is what I'm going to do for you, too. Did you find that, too, as you started, like, instead of, like, struggling and wrestling and fighting against your body, when you started, like, working with it, did you see a more of a flow? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I'm still on that roller coaster. I haven't figured out. So, you know, it was like track and field over to bobsled and using my body differently in that regard and my body rewarding me and getting super happy. But then there was also like, okay, I'm really done with sport because my life in bobsled was six months. Um, I found bobsled in July of 2020. No, last year was 2020. 2016. There we go. Um, In July, actually it was July of 2015 because the games were in 2016. No, that was Rio. Oh my goodness. Don't listen to any of that timeline I just gave you guys. It was 2014. This is what happens when you get older. You get like, yeah, this is probably like early onset dementia, but (laughs) 2014. So I found it July before the Olympic Games, 2013, and I competed in 2014. So I had a very short window for all of these changes to happen and for me to then embrace them. Um, And like I said, there was this burnout that was happening overall. And that was the burnout from being an athlete. So I burned out from track and field. I was able to pivot over into this new thing, but it wasn't going to be the start of a a 10-year career at this new thing. I was still at the end of my useful life as an athlete and, you know, burning out for what it takes to be a full-time competitor. So as I thought about like, you know, what does that mean to me and what what do I want to do next? Um, I had to figure out like what exercise looked like life after sport. And I went from, you know, four or five days a week, sometimes six days a week, uh, really hard, really um, intense exercise to completely nothing. Um, And then you realize like, oh, my body doesn't like this either. Like I thought I wanted to do nothing, but I can barely move. My bones are creaking. I bend over to tie my shoes. My stomach's in the way. People ask me if I'm pregnant and I'm not. And it's just unhealthy. And so now you got to get back into a new flow, start all over again. But then there's a period of burnout because the only way I knew how to work out as an athlete was, you know, to kill yourself. Yes, exactly. Yes. So it's like, what does it look like to not burn out and to find like this nice common ground of like exercising, being active and healthy as a retired individual, who, you know, cares about their longevity. Absolutely. And, you know, that's one thing. So I'm a super planner. I like it all planned out and, you know, what my day is going to look like. And by simply changing the label of workout to move your body, I found that it really takes that because I hang so many emotions and so many like past triggers on what a workout is Mm -hmm. to now when it just says on my calendar, like move your body. And that has given me the permission to not put in a 90 minute kill me, not going to be able to sit on the toilet the next day workout. Amen to that. And that's that's exactly what my approach has been. You know, it took me a while to get there, but it's like schedule time because this is important to me and then do something in that time. It doesn't have to be, like you said, well mapped out, full workout, this, that, you know, upper body tomorrow and this and that. Like, yeah. <laughs> like some days your body's just going to say like, you need to go for a walk and dedicate the time and do that. Uh, and don't be so angry at yourself because you didn't do a sprint and a late a weight and Pilates or whatever your thing is, but, you know, allow yourself to simply. Exactly. Because again, don't put labels on it because you're going to back yourself into a corner. Well, we've talked about like some timelines with the athlete burnout and that. And it sounds like we're kind of up to like 2016, 2017 when you were really trying to figure out, okay, what next? Tell a little bit of like where the journey proceeds from there. Yeah. So 
for me, he said sport was done, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I had found financial planning a little bit before retiring from sport, but I wasn't sure that that was my calling. Or in fact, most of me, you know, being interested in the coursework related to financial planning. So like I said, it's called the certified financial planning coursework was related to me wanting to get information for myself because I was not able to get information from the professionals that I hired. And so that was kind of the beginning of the journey, but it was like, what a, I don't know if that's really what I'm gonna do. I thought about a food truck for a while, love to cook. But then I was like, I'm gonna be slave to if I'm the one with like the secret recipes, like I'm gonna be the one making the food truck or doing this stuff all the time. Like where does the work-life balance? So I kind of backed off that idea and then there was a period of just like sitting on the couch, eating bonbons, like, you know, figuratively. I, don't, I actually don't even know, like, where, can you still buy bonbons? Is that a thing? I don't know, but I love it because I use that same too. Like, oh, just sitting watching Netflix, eating bonbons. Exactly. But where I was just like, I don't have anything I'm passionate about doing, so I'm just going to do nothing. And then that felt really weird because I'm an athlete who's always doing something. So I was, I started accepting as uh, all these different opportunities. So one thing we'll learn is that there's no there's no shortage of opportunities available to a former athlete. Come talk to my kids at this school. Come talk at my church, um, you know, my corporation and on and on and on. Uh, the problem is that there's this issue of like, we don't have any money. You know, we can get you here. We can hotel you. And so the next internal thing that I had to deal with was like, what is my value? And which goes back to that identity piece. It's like, I don't know who I am and I don't know what I'm worth. And so now I feel more worthless. We, you, you mentioned like kind of being in the basement and that's kind of where I went. It's like, not only do I not want to know what I want to do next, but people are telling me that it, that what they're asking me to do is worthless but I got plenty to do and I'm in this rigmarole and then I had to kind of put my own foot down and just say, hey, like just because it's in kind and I don't have to pay for the flight and the hotel, I got to put my dog in boarding. I got to pay my light bill. You know, I, there's bills that are still accumulating, even though you're not it's not costing me, quote unquote, to go out here. And oh, by the way, you're asking me because you think it's valuable. Um, so I need you to find some dollars to put behind this. And it's the hardest thing in the world to do because it's like this service that is open ended. I can talk for free. I'm talking right now. It's like, oh, but I can just be like, and not say anything else. How do you decide which words are valuable and which ones, you know, people need to pay for, et cetera, especially when that's not your skill set. So that was a whole new level of burnout there. It was like, not only do I not know what I want to do, not know who I want to, but I feel worthless. And I don't, I don't know how to even pull myself out of the depths of this um, until I found financial planning and, you know, started talking to other people and realizing there's a gap in this industry. Uh, young professionals don't typically have financial planners. They don't think that they need one because they're like, I don't have money to invest. I got student loans. I got kids. I'm trying to get married. I'm trying to buy my first house. Like Those are all financial events that need the help of a professional so that you could optimize them. Um, but we don't think of it because that's not, you know, that's not what the industry narrative is. Um, and so I was like, oh, there's not going to be a place for me. But as soon as I started telling people like this is what I want, they're like, oh, my goodness, I need you. Come fix my life. Um, and now I found new purpose. And I'm like, OK, I'm excited. And I slowly started to creep up out of the, the depths of hell that is burnout. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's something empowering when you finally step into the power of your experience. Because like you bring into financial planning, like, hey, I had some dollars, like Nike was paying me. And this is the guy that I went to help me and like, he didn't help. And then the next guy, he didn't help. And, and becoming that financial planner that you needed years ago. So essential. And it's so powerful when I see people find that. Because so many times the things that we are are meant to do is be that person that we needed 
for ourselves, for people now in this place. And I love what you're doing, putting out such an amazing message to exactly your people. Because guess what? The old white guys, they're not for us. They don't like our special sauce. And that is a-okay. You go get your old white guy special sauce somewhere else. (laughs) There's plenty of it all over this damn world. But it's just been remarkable and amazing that when we step into it and realize like, whoa, 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 my worth is not based on my productivity or my split time or my dollars in my bank. That's when we can fully embrace. And like you said, like you start to see that rise out of burnout. At least that was what my experience was as a physician. I was like, oh, my worth is not based on how many people like I get blood draws on or how many diagnoses I make. Like just being a caring, loving individual is enough. And it is. It's enough. It is definite. And I think it just for this idea of, like you said, value, like we use the word, like I talked about being worthless and then there's value and then there's cost. Enough is like all these words together. It's like, these are the words that you have to spend some time really breaking down. What do each of them mean to you to kind of like figure out where you're going, where you want to head next? Because there is a lot of that feeling of worthlessness. Like if I'm not a doctor, I'm not any, you know, I'm not this. And it's, it's also, we come from these places of prestige. Doctors are very, very highly regarded athletes, you know, Olympic athletes wearing your medals. These are things. And so it comes with all this pressure and, and people put a value on it. And then I turn around and I look at them like, I used to run from here to there. And someone paid me to do that. Was that thing actually valuable? And, you know, I finally, like, I got to the answer that it's yes. Yes, it yes, it very much was. And so who am I to say that it wasn't? Um, because it's not, like you said, I actually, I'm married to a physician who, you know, cures cancer. And that was probably also part of my burnout was like comparison. Like, you know, my work is not important because he literally saves lives for a living. Like that's, that's what happens on a daily basis. But it's not, it's not about comparing yourself from one person to the next. It's about understanding who you are are, what you're providing to the world, you know, those that are meant to come into your circle and will value that thing. Um, and that what you what you're giving off is enough. it sounds like you had a lot of self-reflective thoughts through all of this. Was there any person in particular or something in particular that was really influential as you were kind of mining through all of this? Well, as an athlete, I would say that, you know, I had an entourage of people that kind of helped me out and kept me on track. And they they definitely invested more in me than whatever their role was. So my coach was a huge influence in my life and, you know, was very good at being able to have a conversation with me, talking to me about, you know, possible consequences of my actions, but not, you know, trying to force me in one direction or the other. She knew I was very, very independent and was okay with, like, as long as you understand that if, by going to this race versus that race, um, you know, you're giving up this and this not the most ideal situation, you know, you're going to have to run this much faster or whatever the case may be. She was willing to have those kind of conversations. And I think it made me a better person. Same thing with my physical therapist. I had a nutritionist, you know, a chef at one point. All these people were pouring way more into me than just providing a, you know, a food. My chef was, you know, not just showing up and delivering or not just cooking and never speaking to me. These are people I had relationships that with that were pouring into me. And we go back to talking about value and cost. You know, all of them had a cost for their service, but the value that was provided to me was way above and beyond what I actually asked for as the service. Far more nourishing than the actual food provided, things like that. Um, and so that kind of journey for 
that entourage of people was incredibly helpful. Now that I have transitioned into a financial planning, I had to go and find my equivalent of that. Where are the people that are going to pour into me and that I can also pour into so that we can continue to build each other up and, and move each other forward? And it's, it's a mastermind group at this point. Oh my gosh. I can't speak enough great praises of mastermind groups. So same way here. I'm the only female physician in my small little county in Southern Indiana. There's more like cattle than people people here. And so there are no other female physicians who are running an online business who have a podcast. People still ask me like, what's a podcast? And so I had to do the exact same thing to go to go find my people, to go find other women who are like, yeah, we make six, almost seven figures online a year and killing it. And yeah, we have struggles too. And I think that's a difference that when I really started to take my business to an elevated range and realized, no, you have to purposely put yourself in the places where these conversations are happening. Because it's not going to be your mom or your cousin or your high school best friend anymore. Yeah, they still love you. They're still going to pour into you. But to elevate yourself in the financial space, in the coaching space, we do. We have to surround ourselves. And masterminds are phenomenal. If you can get in a good mastermind, and a good mastermind honestly is made up by the people. It's not yes. all the curriculum. It's not all the other bells. It is the people. If you can get into those spaces, they are the most nourishing and the most advancing resources that I have found to date. Very, very much so. I could not have said it better myself. That group is priceless. I would not be the financial planner that I am. I would not have made it. You talk about burnout. There, there are burnout-like symptoms that I experience on a regular basis as a financial planner. You know, some days you wake up as an entrepreneur, you're just like, I don't want to. Like, but if you don't, no one, no one's going to force you to. And the business just won't run. So while it's okay to have those feelings, how do you sort through them? And having the support of people like that, we actually have a little, um, we have a Slack channel and one of the channels in there is called High Low Bet You Didn't Know. Um, and so we kind of, you know, either share a high or a low or something that, you know, somebody didn't know, oh, I'm having a baby or whatever the case may be. Um, and it's a place where we go to just sometimes, like if it's a low, it's a burnout sort of thing. Like, hey guys, I'm experiencing extreme burnout because of blah, blah, blah. Um, and you've got eight other people that are going to jump in that know how you feel, have experienced it before, not judging, let you say what you feel and, you know, gonna sit there in the moment with you sometimes. Sometimes not even about being encouraged. It's about like, yeah, that sucks. Losing a big client when you didn't do anything wrong sucks. And, and we all just sit there like, Ugh. and you you somehow feel better after. Um, that group has just been unbelievable in my life. Yeah. And let's talk about too. So kind of bringing it into present times, like what are you doing now in your journey? How is it imperfectly marvelous and all the things? Yeah. So as a financial planner, I'm helping people organize their finances. Um, what I've decided to do is, you know, like I said, create something that's outside of the box. As I mentioned, my my theme for this year and I think overall in the way that I've been on this journey through a previous burnout and to avoid burnout as much as possible is just to let go of labels. Sometimes when something's not working, try something new. Uh, my business model is very unique in that I charge based on income. So it's not all about gathering all the assets. So I think one of the things that turns young professionals off is this idea of, you know, I don't have money to invest, so I don't need a financial planner. And like you said, I got expertise in student loans. I help people make their budget, like line 
line item by line item. Um, we're saving up for a wedding. Oh, we just got married and we're trying to figure out how to merge our finances. You name it. There's not a financial plan, not, not a financial topic that I'm not willing to talk about with my clients. And if you come across something that I don't, I don't know, guess what? I got eight people. One of them probably does. And a whole nother, you know, whole other networks of people. Cause I love digging into these financial topics. So I've decided to charge based on income instead of assets. Um, that way your income goes down. My, my paycheck goes down as well. Like we get to experience all those kind of bumps in the roads together. I also created a course to help people like better understand just the basics of finances. Like sometimes you just can't afford a financial plan. Like if you're not there yet, I don't want you to not have any advice, especially from a professional, because we know Google's out there and people are Googling away, but the expertise that you have uh, really, really matters and that you can get the wrong answers from out there on Google. So you get a course and then you still get to talk to a financial professional about like, okay, I have this baseline information, but how is it relevant? And then I have something kind of in between as well for people to better understand. Like if I just want a one-time plan, I'm a do-it-yourselfer. Am I on the right track? Here's the information. You go off and you implement that. Or sometimes people just want to talk like, hey, this is what I'm thinking, buying a house, or I'm just out of school. You know, can you just help me with this one thing? I need a budget or I, I need to know how much I can need to save before I buy a house. Um, so my, my business model is very unique. And I think that's one of the things that's like made it really fun for me. But also, like I said, this is all about like letting go a label. So that's probably like my 10th uh, iteration of pricing and, and modeling things. Um, and people might be saying like, how does this relate to burnout, Lauren? It's like, Going through like one through 10 as it pertains to pricing, like some days you just want to give up because you're like, okay, I got it. I don't, you know, I don't want to charge too much. I want it to be just right. And then you're charging $3 and, you know, no one's coming and you also can't pay your light bill with three bucks. And then you're like, okay, let me charge $6. And so you go through this iteration of iteration of iterate. And, and, and there's so many times that I wanted to quit because I was like, I'm never going to figure out how to serve this group that nobody else wants to serve and do it in a way that's profitable, even though my my rational brain is telling me there should be a way. And so not quitting in the midst of those kind of burnout feeling days, I think is a huge accomplishment and you experience them all the time. So I think like, you know, this idea of like marvelously imperfect is what we all have to embrace because not every day be perfect. Some days we're going to feel pretty burnt out, um, but it doesn't mean that we're not still on the journey or that we are burnout. Um, but you also have to understand like bad day versus bad month. And maybe I am approaching burnout and I might need to. Uh, absolutely. It's, it's like reminding yourself that the struggle isn't wrong, that like, even though you hadn't figured out the pricing or it didn't align, it didn't sit well with you. You had to try it out. You had to like, see girl, I'm in year six of the coaching business. <laughs> Sometimes too, I was just extending a contract out to an organization who wants to work with me. And and I remember the first time I sent a proposal and I sweated it out for about like three days. And then when they denied it, then I was like, oh, what did I do wrong? But it wasn't anything about me. It was just about them. And that was their choice to say no. And so exactly right. And And we could talk so much more about the stories we make about money and all the things that get implanted into our brains as kids and young adults that then we like take forward with us. But 
different doesn't mean wrong. Changing, you can pivot at any time. It doesn't mean you did anything wrong. It's just hashtag life. And so thank you so much for coming and sharing your stories today. Of course, I'll have all the links in the show notes. But if you want to hear more about Lauren, you can check her out at worthwinning.com or at her personal website at laurenwilliams.com. I so appreciate the authenticity and the realness that you brought to our conversation today. And the badass in me honors the badass in you. Thanks for having me. And I hope that everybody can avoid burnout and become a badass. If you want to learn more about Lauren Williams, head over to her websites, either worthwinning.com or laurenwilliams.com, and you can find all of that in the show notes. The other thing, too, is are you ready to stop going it alone? Are you ready for a community of fierce females and alphas who are ready to take on the pack with you? Well, come over to Burnt Out to Badass. Lots of great resources there, and I would love for you to join this badass pack. And remember, the badass in me honors the badass in you. Say hey.